0: Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perrault. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring
1: lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brain better. You can find out more at WonderTourPodcast.com. All right, Derek, it's time to break the rules of the game. We're jumping into the final engagement with Dormammu. It's time for Doctor Strange Part Two. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. There we go. You've, you had to try it. I know it's a it's a tough one. Well, Dormammu, we'll on the... <laughs> I've come to bargain. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, oh, that was good. That was good. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't see it coming. Neither did Dormammu. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the best intros we've had. <laughs> uh, well, Man, you you really much. got me there. Oh, my gosh. I got Rickrolled.
0: Yeah, you did not know you were in the operating theater, but I got you. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so here we are back again. Last time we were talking about, uh, we we ended off with uh, a really cool uh, sandpile model of skills, you know, that uh, Doctor Strange uh, had built up. And then, now that we're in the second half here, we can talk about how he loses the Ancient One. Uh, so I'm going to let you kind of talk about that.
1: For sure. I do want to make one one comment on the ending of the first one, because I feel like this is just something that we should talk about. So we used a sandpile model to talk about skill development there. Just one reflection is that that's obviously not the only model that you can use. There's dozens of different models you can use for skill development. And while we're on the Wonder Tour, you know, by the time we're at episode 50 and 100 and stuff, we'll probably have used five different models to talk about skill development. So when we create these models or use these models that other people have created and kind of tack things onto them, it's not about finding the model, right? Models are just approximations of reality. That's it. So there's multiple models that solve a problem. For example, you know, in in terms of like solutions, optimization solutions, you could use a simulation model, you could use a machine learning model oftentimes both of those models might get you to about the same accuracy potentially um, in terms of, of predicting how something's going to go, but they're completely different ways of approaching the problem and, and, and would require completely different skill sets and stuff like that. So I, I just thought that that was something to talk about is, is that the sandpile is a really helpful model for us and there are other helpful models too.
0: Oh, yeah, I like that, because um, I think uh, what's interesting there, and, and 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 really, I think this is the essence of wisdom. So I appreciate you bringing that, you know, back to the forefront, which is, yeah, you know, you can only hold so much in your mind at once. And I think if you have that picture, you have the picture of the sand pile, you see it from the outside. That's kind of the essence of the sand pile model, seeing it from the outside. But What about the inside? That's probably a different model. Um, and, and really trying to see the relationships between models. I think we call that wisdom. I mean, I really do. It's like, what are the, you know, the things that you can't, uh, you know, you you can't deny about the relationships between the models. So I think that's a good point. And yeah, no, I, I plan to keep pulling the miles out and, and, and like you said, by episode, you know, 50, 100, I hope that we are also finding relationships between models and, and how one can feed the other and, and that kind of thing so um good stuff drew keep it going
1: that yeah I, I like that actually the model is the knowledge oftentimes the model really encapsulates the knowledge of reality knowledge of the world whatever the interactivity or the interoperability the interactions between the models and stuff like that that's where the wisdom is applied So let's talk about let's talk about the scene where we finally lose the Ancient One. There's a whole lot of continued veil piercing here. We find out that the Ancient One has been interacting with the Dark Dimension the whole time in order to prolong her life. And that that kind of realization sends a jolt through Mordo, um, but also sends a lesser jolt through Doctor Strange. But the f- the scene I want to focus on here really is where they're sitting in the spirit, you know, whatever spirit realm I don't know what it is, um, and they're they're kind of inside the office building, looking out the window as she's falling, and Doctor Strange is having this conversation with the Ancient One, and in this moment, there's a couple different, you know, this is her last um, her last opportunity to share wisdom with steven this is the darth vader and obi-wan kenobi moment right where in in episode four where they're meeting um and and obi-wan's going to get one last opportunity to impart something to anakin it's a classic hero's journey (laughs) basically is the mentor is going to impart something to the mentee and then the mentee is going to have to carry the mantle from here on out
0: yeah i would say that and, and the reason that these moments are so shocking in a lot of these movies is that <clears throat> the uh, the mentor gives uh, some final vulnerability, right? And final vulnerability is usually a big secret that you know the mentor has been holding back, or it is some kind of a huge worry or concern that the that the mentor had. Uh, in this case, I, I you know the ancient one basically admits that. She has traced all her time paths to this moment, and she doesn't know what's after that. And I think that's probably a little shocking for Steven that, you know, he, he's like, wait a minute. This lady has like been leading me to this point, and she's saying she's not enough now. Um, and that's like, honestly a, a great moment to have with a mentor because you may have a flash in the pan uh, of – I think I might've reached their level. You know, I mean, obviously stay humble in that time, but that's a time where, you know, your mentor may seed that point to you. Have you ever had that happen to you, Drew?
1: Oh yeah, that definitely happens. And it happens, it it happens more often in small areas rather than all at the same time, right? Like you said, seeding a point is a good example because there will be times where, the student surpasses the teacher. There's a reason for that turn of phrase. (laughs) And it it certainly happens. I think I could think of a great example is like uh, playing games, right? Somebody teaches you how to play a new board game or card game or something like that. And then you, you know, they just beat you down over and over and over again, because they're so they've played it so much more than you. They have so much more experience, but you love playing that game. And so you just start playing it on your own and then you come back to them every once in a while and you keep, you go through that cycle until finally you beat them and then you beat them again and again. And the student has surpassed the teacher. So you're saying that you never had a mentor that predicted their death
0: and (laughs) had the dark dimension looming. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been in such a high stakes game. Oh, okay. Well, that's true. That's true. No, that's, that's good. (laughs) No, I thought that was a good analogy. Uh, what you got there, sorry, good, good, uh, good story. You got there. Um, Yeah, no, I think that's a great, very accessible example, you know, where, like, and, you know, it's okay, right? And it does happen in smaller ways in real life because not everything is so, you know, climactic, right? I mean, you've said this in past episodes where you're just like, you know, you don't really get that many climactic moments in your life anyway. You know, most of the time it's through the mundane stuff. You know, it's through the the little, um, you know, sometimes... Uh, the kids say small moments, you know, they, they say that sometimes because that's, those are the ones you want to, you know, really sift through and, but you have those moments with your mentor and, uh, they, they see it a little bit, they see to point to you. They say, I'm not enough here. And that's what the ancient one does in this situation. And I think that's why this, uh, this is a, if we had two moments in this movie, that would be the other moment. Um, not because, He's ready to sail off into the, you know, sunset trying to go after Dormammu. But it's it's that, you know, she says, I've reached the end of my road here. And I thought that was the thing that hit me the most uh, in that scene, actually. It was that, oh, wait a minute, we're losing the ancient one. That stinks. You know.
1: I like how she she puts him in his place, you know, (laughs) (laughs) definitely hits you in the feels there. Um, There's something that she says, though. She says, arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the greatest lesson of all. It's not about you. So in the first part, we talked about arrogance. We talked about the the method of mentoring that the Ancient One brings. And this is the nugget that she's been trying to implant in his mind the entire time. And this is something that I think we are passionate about on the Wonder Tour, implanting in our own minds and hopefully helping to water and and to, to foster in other people's lives is it's not about you. Yeah, I'm still learning that
0: one. Uh, but <laughs> I, I would like to think that day by day, I'm learning it a little bit less. <laughs> I think that's about it's about all you can hope for uh, in life, um, you know, but, you know, because, you know, we're flawed. You know, that's that it, it is, you know, we're human. It's it happens. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that. And I think that's, uh, it's a perfect way for her to send off, uh, Steven to the next, next thing here, which is look, um, I don't know what you're going to face. I don't know what you're going to encounter. Uh, but you need to know this one final thing so it doesn't sink you. And as long as he sticks with that, um, the rest he's going to figure out. And she knows that. Right. She knows that if he can just get past that one thing, everything else, he's already got it. He can go through a spell book while he's sleeping. I don't know if you noticed that tiny little detail, but, you know, the (laughs) fact that his astral projection was holding the book and his physical body was sleeping, uh, you know, is a perfect example of how the guy, you know, is able to improvise and, um, you know, be you know, continue to develop. And um, so anyway, all
1: right, well, where are we going next here? I want to take that and start kind of building it into an analogy for change. Again, this makes sense what we talked about at the beginning with the um, sandpile model not being the only model. This is not the only model for change, but this is one that we've liked to talk about in the past in different ways, and we can kind of adapt it here. And introduce it on the wonder tour <laughs> notice when we build these models we always build them I've heard like when you're telling a good story in a presentation or whatever like go for the basics you know find an analogy about the weather or something like that right find an analogy about nature these are things that people will understand everybody universally will understand them so here we talked about a sand pile model most people probably can relate to that now let's talk about a, a model of water and a model of waves how in this situation, we lo- I think in life, just like Stephen Strange, we think that we are the waves that are crashing against the shore, that are, that are going to change things. We are the waves. And as we, you know, <laughs> to the ancient one's point, as we realize that it's not about us, we become aware that we are not the waves. Actually, we are just the surfers riding the waves. So we don't control very much at all. And if that holds true, then that puts us in a situation where we need to understand how are we going to how are we going to choose to interact with, with the environment around us? How do we interact with the ocean and the shore and the waves if we're not the waves, but instead we're just the surfer who's out there, maybe in the midst of, of a very of a swell maybe in the midst of, you know, a very calm day. But that environment is going to change and we're going to have very little control over it. All we get to do is choose how we ride the waves.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, You know, for me, it's all about energy usage. How do you use your energy? You have a finite amount of energy. You have a finite amount of resources available to you. You really can't go out there and be like, well, I'm going to reverse this wave. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's like, that—that that is kind of where you go when when you're earlier on in your life, I think, which is, I mean, so you, you do nail that. You're like, I'm going to be the water uh, <laughs> or whatever, right? And it, it's not it at all, right? All that stuff just, I mean, as soon as you do that, like, you're like, all right, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to take on this world, you know? And you know, and, and you just end up with a big mouthful of salt water. <laughs> uh well, you think you're, you're like, gonna terraform ah! the you're, universe. You yeah. You, you're, right? you're, yeah, you're doing a brave thing and you're like yelling at the you know, at the top of your lungs and then all you get is a mouthful of salt water. <laughs> that's what I that's, And and you're like, man, that's things, you know. And that's when you kind of get like just you know, you get beat back and it I, as long as it's not a critical thing, I think it's a good thing. Um you know, because it's like what happened to Stephen, which is, you know, he uh, he got the uh, he got the mirror flash, you know, and that that changed everything. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I don't know. So, I, I yeah, I, got, I like what you're saying yeah, in, the,
1: in the in the spirit of the water analogy or the ocean analogy. Right. He got drowned pretty much. He felt like he was drowning a couple different times with the way that the ancient one was teaching him. So throughout his life, he had come across very, very few situations where he didn't ride the wave perfectly. So he actually thought he was the wave because of that. <laughs> he he confused himself with the wave and thought that if he could just always ride the wave perfectly, then he actually could could become the wave or he just always was the wave. Right. It's this typical like humans finding themselves in the in trying to play like this, this role that's outside of us where we think we're going to, you know, I said terraform the universe. But Right. It's like we have this this feeling like we have to terraform the universe or like we should or like we could. And in reality, we get to play a role most of the time, ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time or more. Right. We just we're playing a role and that role is important. So I don't want to diminish that and make it feel like we're not playing an important role. We are. But the role that we play is we have limited energy. We have limited consciousness. We have we have limited knowledge. All of these things cause us just like even if you're Doctor Strange, who has a you know clearly a genius IQ and and has a high high drive, he's a hard worker, he's studious, right? He has all of these things to aspire to, um, or that you know we as humans would like to have because they're really beneficial for how we interact with the world. But even he does not ascend past the level of a human. He's still has to ride the waves. And once he recognizes that that's when things finally start to break for him. And he realizes that, okay, actually I'm just a part of one of these, one of these, you know, dimensions, essentially I can kind of ride the dimensions to an extent, but even there, I don't have full control over that. Um, and, and there's all these other people who are, who have autonomy within this universe who are making all of these decisions as well. And so his mind starts to, he, we start to break that fixed mindset that he has to be perfect, that he has to change everything. And instead it becomes, I'm just going to ride this one wave. Okay, let's just do the thing right now, right? Just pick and choose the wave that I'm going to ride and stop trying to think like, I have to be all of the waves all the time terraforming the shore.
0: Yeah, well, and as you were talking, I, I kind of got, I, I think the the metaphor really, uh resonates well with the movie you know uh in the way that the mirror dimension has a lot of waves and he doesn't have a lot of control over that um you know caecilius we hadn't really mentioned caecilius till now but you know caecilius is (laughs) he is bending buildings he's bending walls and you know he's messing with hallways and and then he makes the like the regular dimension mirror dimension uh which is super scary uh, especially when they're in the uh, uh, what's that thing called that they're in that that's in Hong Kong. And anyway, uh, you know, the sanctuary, so they're in the sanctuary, right? And he's messing with the hallway. Um, I think that's a good, you know, it's a good metaphor. He's got some, some waves are coming his way and he's, he's just got to deal with it. He can't do anything. Um, you can't do anything when a bent, when a building is bending sideways, um, you know, so Think about that with the movie, you know, and think about how that is really what what Drew's talking about here, which is, you know, you've got to got to ride these waves. You're not you're not the one you're not the building, you know, that that doesn't make any sense. Like you are literally trying to just acclimate to all the changes around you. Uh, And that that really is uh, what was happening in the mirror dimension very many times in the story.
1: So let's add another layer to it. I love what you said there. Let's add another layer to it. What about the Cloak of Levitation? So in his first, one of his first experiences, maybe this is first with the Cloak of Levitation, it is actively pulling him away. He's trying to grab this axe off the wall to try and fight, uh, fight, what's his name? (laughs) Caecilius, And it's trying to pull him towards the actual solution, which is the, the, uh, the binding armor, basically, that's going to, that's going to, you know, clasp onto Kaecilius and trap him. And so he's, it's like, he's fighting against the waves and his cloak of levitation is, it's like, no, your cloak of levitation is your device, right? They say like kind of everybody gets this, everybody gets this, uh, this thing that's going to help them, this item, this token, that's going to, it's going to help carry them on their journey. And, think about that you know that maybe that tokens like your surfboard if you're surfing the waves or something like that but you got to recognize you know we got to figure out where where that lies for us and we got to be more willing to follow the flow of the waves and and stop fighting against the waves because there's not a whole lot of good in fighting against the waves it's not going to help you to get that that sweet ride wave into shore (laughs) fighting against the waves will never allow you to to ride a wave into shore well, I think that cloak levitation
0: is, you know, I, I think it's somebody who chooses you. We've talked about that in the past where, you know, you, you have somebody that kind of chooses you. Um, and I've had that happen to me, you know, plenty of times. And, I, and at first I've been like, you don't really understand it. You don't really understand why you're being chosen. You don't understand uh, why they want to save you. Um, but, uh, you know, Going with the cloak of levitation here it, you know obviously it wanted to save him it liked him you know it's like maybe you know you're a little bit off like me <laughs> you know the cloak of levitation kind of had a little attitude um you know if you look at the collar that you know kind of flared out and so it was like you know what i'm like i'm like uh dr strange here you know or mr doctor uh <laughs> i'm like mr doctor um you know but uh yeah i mean i think that's that's something and and you know I think that's a cool thing. I think it's, I don't know if that's a full on moral here, but, um, you know, look out for being chosen, um, uh, because it will happen. Someone sees something in you that inspires them, even when you haven't done anything. And that's a really cool thing. Um, you know, I could think of, you know, uh, one of my friends in college and he just showed up in my dorm room one day. And I was like, why is this guy standing in my room? <laughs> It was so funny. Um, Eventually, though, I was like, oh, this guy's really fun. You know, he's a goofball uh, like me. And he must have seen that, you know, in me or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, I got chosen that day, you know, and uh, it was cool. It was a good thing. Um, And again, you don't really understand it. And, you know, when it's happening, but, you know, that's that's what you need uh, to kind of uh, to get over those waves. That's
1: the, uh, yeah, that's, I like it. I like it. That's perfect. Right. The Cape is, is it's, it's actually another person who's there with you. Who's going to be like, no, no, no. Like, don't ride this one. The next one's going to be bigger. That's right. And you combine your experiences, you know, cause the thing is,
0: the thing is so cool about it. Right. Is that this person has like one half the picture. I mean, let's just use a simplistic model here and say that, that it's like the two puzzle piece model um of you know and i honestly that's that's kind of how you and i got started on anything we've done which is just like you know i was saying huh you know this guy's got a different perspective there is some commonality, so i don't want to say it's it's not a bit of a venn diagram it is it's a uh, you know the venn diagram with the two circles overlapping um you know and then you realize like oh wow that's like the other pole of thinking that i need you know so you got to look for those people. You have to look for um, uh, what, what's the thing called? A dyad. There you go. Now we're talking. So, you know, with the cloak, I think they, you know, he formed a dyad, right? Um, so we remember that from, uh, you know, uh, Star Wars 9, you know, um, and really all those, right? 7, 8, 9. But, um, yeah, I think you got to look for those dyads. And those are the ones that, you know, if you can link up with somebody – I mean, if you honestly you look through the universe, there's tons of examples of, you know, poles and opposites and and
1: all that. um, Well, you're going to find more wisdom that way. You're going to find more wisdom by by partnering up there. So how do we change if, if one of our morals here that we're kind of still in, but we're skirting around the edges of is how do we change? This is one thing that we're coming across here is you know, you go on the wonder tour, you, you you find those people who are going to go on the tour with you. And ideally, they're going to be they're going to think differently than you. They're going to think similarly to you because you're on the wonder tour together. But they're going to think differently than you have different personality traits than you have different experiences than you backgrounds than you. And as a result, you're going to be able to create better solutions. I mean, we can this has been proven, um, I guess I would kind of say scientifically almost, to the extent that multiple people working together with different perspectives develop better solutions not that not just that but they develop better predictions so if you look at like how how humans are able to when, when you think about predictions what are predictions good for right predicting the future is good because it helps us to make decisions in the present so by working together we can we can make better predictions right because maybe i'm if we're going to predict how much a certain stock is going to be just to use a simple example of it you know is this going to go up or down you know kind of a futures market type of situation then derek might be super high on something but i might be lower on it and i might temper expectations and the more people that you add to that predictive model who have who knows something about the situation the better the prediction becomes, right? As, as you add people to it who have experience, who have something to bring to the table, slowly but surely the average is going to become closer to what the most likely outcome actually is. So with that, we can learn that we can make better decisions by working together. And oftentimes you, we got to partner up in this world because by ourselves, we're not going to make the right decisions. That's what, you know, Dr. Strange was off on his own. He's pushing Christine away from him. He's doing all these um, He's doing all these cringy things because he's trying to go on it on this journey alone. He doesn't have anybody with him. And and then when he has Juan and he has the cape and stuff now, suddenly his all of his strong points are, are sticking out and all of his weak points. The others are helping him to overcome those things. He doesn't have to overcome them alone. And I know this is a typical like team building type of a discussion, but we're able to bring it back to the story here. So I think it's at least helpful to talk about it. Cause one of the ways that we change and, and one of the key tenets to change is not just to ride the waves and and at some point, like we talked about, sometimes you have to almost drown. And then when you come up for air, you finally start to see, see the things for what they actually are and realize that maybe you didn't have the right picture in your head the whole time, but it's also that you have to partner with other people. You have to go on the tour, the journey together.
0: The main thing here is right. is to, I would say just eliminate the biases and the blind spots that you have, you know, and we know we've, we've beat the dead horse with the arrogance thing for him. Um, but that really did set him up uh, for failure so many times, you know, because he, You know, it's a little bit of closed loop. I mean, it wasn't totally because Christine actually tried to give it, give the feedback to him, but she's so nice, and he never felt any pain from that. That he never really, you know, committed to any change, and he was always able to adapt uh, to the small changes that you know she would propose. So, you know, that's why he had to have what the ancient one gave him, which was just the complete other pole of it, right? um but anyway (laughs) let's let's go on to the next moral um that
1: we got here want to talk about the ending yeah let's talk about the ending let's talk about the ending we've teased it for long enough this is quite a cool ending to a movie here so in the end um we dormammu and the the dark dimension are coming for the you know whatever Dr. Strange's dimension is his, his reality in that moment, it looks like all is lost uh, as the dark dimension starts to overcome, but that's when Dr. Strange pulls out that arcane skill. He pulls out the, uh, he pulls out the time stone and he starts using it to break the game. Basically he figures out that he can potentially use this, this skill that he has to break the game or it, the, his ability, honestly, since it's a time stone, it's kind of his ability to see things at a different level that everybody else can see them. He can actually see on an he can see like an extra dimension to what everybody else can see, and so he's going to use that to completely break the game. And so what he does, and as we as Derek talked about at the beginning, right, is he keeps he he keeps loop, creates a time loop going into infinite time. Uh, in Dormammu's Dark Dimension, where time is not, uh, doesn't really exist, and he keeps sending himself in to battle Dormammu over and over and over again, and he keeps getting walloped every single time. But what he's done is he's created a lock. He's essentially created, like, set up a blockade that Dormammu cannot go any further because he he has created this infinite loop that's going to force Dormammu to, to make a move, actually. He can't just kill him every single time he comes in because he'll just keep coming back. It forces Dormammu to do something different, to make a deal. That's right. And, and I, I like
0: what you said there about thinking on a different plane. Um, I think very often that some of that, I mean, I I don't know how fresh it is anymore, but uh, which is you know emotional intelligence, right? So we had a real burst of past three years, I think, three to four years, from what I've seen, is just you know people a lot of people talking about well, you have to be emotionally intelligent, you have to be emotionally intelligent, you have to understand emotions, um, and that that is a I still I, I still think that that's a very valuable skill. Um, a very valuable skill to be able to come in and read a room, right? Um, and read individuals and see, you know, how it's all playing out, right? Uh, I think that's, you know, what Doctor Strange uses here. You know, he he gets a read on the room uh, in a different way, um, obviously. But I, I'm just trying to ex- I'm trying to
1: pull out the lesson here, right? Yeah. So what I'm seeing here is it's kind of an application of game theory. So, for lack of having ten minutes to just talk about game theory, I think some people will be familiar with the terminology. Others will be, you know, acutely aware of what game theory is. This is probably a bad explanation of it, but the idea behind game theory is we're going to look at like probabilities of outcomes, and so we're going to kind of create these branching tree of like what could happen depending on the different, you know, most likely outcomes or most like, sorry, the most likely actions that take place. So the point of game theory is at the end to kind of be able to understand based on the moves that I can make, like think about on a chessboard or whatever, based on what my my options are, what you know, what's going to be the most likely outcome, depending on those options. And so what he does is rather than what we think the first time I watched it, at least, is, I you know, I'm like, he's going to have to create an anomaly. That's how he's going to win. He's going to create an anomaly. He's going to do something spectacular because he's a superhero. But. He doesn't do something spectacular because he's a superhero. He does something with his mind and with his arcane skill. He takes that unique skill that he has and he figures out a way to apply it to the situation. And when because when he does that, he actually creates a lock. And so in game theory, what happens is basically he has figured out what the outcome is going to be. And he's figured out that this one event, his confrontation with Dormammu is meaningless pretty much it's if he if he constructs the narrative in a certain way each interaction with Dormammu will have no it doesn't matter if he loses he can lose over and over and over again and that's actually where we see his character develop because he's willing to lose I mean assumedly he feels pain every single time that he's getting walloped by Dormammu and we see all these different ways he has. you know he's getting crushed he's getting spikes jabbed through him he's getting hit by some magic energy and stuff like that right and he continually comes back over and over and over again because he's realized that he has this advantage of time on Dormammu. And so instead of, you know, destroying Dormammu the way that we might expect in a traditional Marvel movie, he plays to his own advantage and he understands game theory better and says, okay, I can just keep looping time on you. You'll never be able to escape me. It's an I'm inevitable for you, essentially. Yeah, I,
0: I mean, and, and really you know, he invents a new rule, really. And I think that's what's so beautiful about this is that, um, you know, and I was really impressed by that when I first saw it, you know, the first time I ever watched the movie, which this is one of my favorite ones. And it's because he's got such a, I don't know, unique combination of of who he is, you know. Um, But he, you know, he invents this new rule. And he figures out a way and some people might call that cheating. I don't know. Um, I think, when the rules are established and all written down and they're agreed upon before you play the game, that's cheating. <laughs> I don't think this is cheating, um, but this is being creative. And, you know, there's a whole wide world, you know, that we don't we're not really privy to in the movie. But it's like there's all these uh, magical hooks, you know, to control the universe, I guess, in this in this movie. Right. And um, so it's a it's like a control panel that you can't even see. And he reaches over and hits some of the controls that he learned about. Um, and that is not inventing a new rule. That is being more educated than your uh, enemy <laughs> so, or the person that you're struggling against in this case. So uh, I just thought that was really cool. And I, I liked what you, uh, the way you explained uh, the game theory there and, and, and how you know, the, um, he turned the uh, probability. If you notice, uh, every iteration, the probability goes up. Uh, that he's going to win right and i think that's the key here is that when you get somebody into an infinite loop um you know and you're going to outlast them and you know you can then the probability does go to 100
1: percent probability goes to 100 <laughs> that's that's the game theory right is he recognized something that Dormammu didn't, and why? Because Dormammu has a fixed mindset, and he has developed an open mindset. His open mindset says, "I can play with all of these things; all these variables can be configured." Where Dormammu is so set on gaining power um, over, you know, another another universe or whatever that he has basically locked all these variables into place. He's just like we're just going to play he thinks he he thinks he's won so he just locks everything in and he's just like all right we're just going to execute. Where Doctor Strange is constantly willing to pivot. He's like, okay, what? This is what's in front of me. How am I going to leverage this? And and like you said, what he recognizes is something that Dormammu can't possibly because Dormammu is has such a closed mind. It's that he actually has hundred percent win probability, and you see it. You like you basically see it on Dormammu's face and in his expressions over time as he slowly comes to terms with the fact that he lost and that he had the whole time while he was so confident, he was just losing over and over and over again.
0: well and i think there's a here's a wonder tour moment for you but once uh once dormammu let's just say theoretically that dormammu ate all the universes um i think he's going to get bored after that and i think that's another flaw in dormammu's existence which is he's out there to destroy everything so dormammu really doesn't know everything he thinks he does he thinks he is like all-powerful that kind of thing but I just think it's fascinating how limited uh, his thinking is in some ways. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's a lesson there, which is you have a really, uh, I would say, formidable uh, obstacle in your way, etc. It seems like you can't beat it. It seems like you can't win. But look for those flaws in how its formid- formidability, formidability is manifested, right? So – It could look like a mountain from one angle, but if you step to the side of it, maybe you realize that it's paper thin. And I think that that is probably a really good moral that I can take away from this. And I've used that before, which is, you know, you got to solve the problem in a different way. So there is what looks like a brute force method that you have to climb this mountain, uh, you know, or you have to jackhammer through it, etc., and it may be a certain thickness and it tires out most people and they quit and yada, yada, yada. But if you learn to step to the side of something, and this is why it's so important what you said earlier, Drew, about having multiple perspectives uh, and, and understanding, you know, how you can tap into a new skill set. Uh, the arcane skill set, you know, will give you access to this. So it'll say I can step to the side of this mountain and realize that it's just some two by fours holding up a piece of rock, you know, uh, you know what I mean? And, and there's really no mountain there. It's actually just like a slab. But but from one angle, if you if you continue to attack the thing from the one angle, you're not going to see that. You're going to see a Dormammu, you know, but step to the side of Dormammu. And then you see, well, you know, obviously I'm, my metaphor is breaking down, but you get what I'm saying. You, oh, I can beat him with infinite time. You know, whatever. Okay, I'm going to stop with the metaphor. But But I think this other metaphor of, you know, hey, Change your angle, change your approach. Um, that's isn't that where we're talking here. I mean, this is it's like kind of bringing hard things to together.
1: Do. Yeah, it, it's okay. incredibly hard to do, and it, sometimes it seems impossible until you see it from the right angle. It actually seems like there's only one approach to the problem. Like you said, the you know there's just two by fours holding up this mountain of rocks, and so instead of you know mining through the front, I could just walk around the back and just knock down the two by fours, right? And the whole thing comes tumbling down. I think we talked about the added extra dimension of time. Derek, I want to bring in one of your great quotes of all time from a couple of years ago that I you know I've memorized. It. You know I love quotes. I'm always bringing them back in. But you said until you think strategically, you cannot escape the local minima. So basically what that means is like if you have a curve, think about it just if you have a quadratic curve. So if you just have a curve that goes down and then up again and it looks like a U, you if that's all you can see, you're going to keep pushing the rock up one side or the other of the curve. And you're going to keep falling back down to that local minima to the bottom of the curve. And so what 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 Dormammu thinks, he only sees a small portion of it. So he thinks that that Dr. Strange is stuck at the bottom of the curve. He thinks he's got him trapped. He's like, look, you 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 come into my realm. He's like, I've already got my hooks into your world. It's over. You know, you can't defeat me. I'm all powerful. But what I, what Stephen realizes is he zooms out. He reframes it. And he says, no, the frame you're looking at, that you're just looking at like a two by two grid, dude. I'm pulling out to a 10 by 10. And what actually is going to happen is there's a whole nother local minimum, or there's a, whole nother, there's a global minima. There's another point that we're going to actually, if I can get us out of this you then we're going to fall into this other you that's even bigger over here and you lose in that you. And so he, Dormammu, doesn't see it. And this happens all the time in business, right? It's like people are fighting over a decision that in the end, it doesn't even matter. We're stuck in this in this tactical or operational world. It happens. It happens in my relationship with my wife. I'm fighting over this thing that's in a tactical. It's in this little space and it doesn't actually matter. And when you take a step back out, you're like, wait a second, I can just give in on this thing. This is like one of the core tenets of good relationships too. It's not just a, it's not just, you know, I'm going to be more strategic than you. It's good in relationships is when I can give up something at very little cost that makes somebody else happy, I'll give it up. So sometimes you can do that. You can let, okay, you know, we have three options for how to do this project. I prefer option A, you prefer option C. What I, If I take a, a step back, I get that bird's eye view of it. I recognize we're probably going to, you know, 90% chance. We just are going to the same point anyway. You, we can do option C, just builds a, you know, builds that relationship, builds that political capital with that person, allows you to not expend energy. It's brilliant. It's like a cheat code, right? Is recognizing when you can just give up because you can see things from a higher level. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and well, and you got an overlap in
0: how some a lot of choices are very similar to each other. I mean, very, very infrequently are uh, choices you know so completely mutually exclusive right and and really if you're thinking strategically you know you're really gonna like you said you're gonna give up some portion of you know what you're fighting for and you're just gonna find a new i to say a new way to kind of a new path to get there i don't know that's about the best way i can think of it um you can say well at least this takes me somewhere to the right now if somebody's going 180 on you and regressing, that's kind of hard. That's kind of hard to deal with, right? Um, you know, so I don't I don't really want to – I'm not speaking to that type of a situation. where, But but usually you're going to kind of go up and to the right on the graph, aren't you? Yeah.
1: Okay. Exactly. So, we're, sure, we're trying to yeah. go up and to the right, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so sometimes you go a little more up than you do to the right. The goal is to go up and right at the same time <laughs> um, as much as possible. Uh, because you're probably balancing I don't know two different things usually it's risk and reward you know I don't know so you want to anyway maybe risk and reward is not a good example because you want risk to go down (laughs) but anyway um, you know so um, yeah you want to you want to kind of you know think about that And, and if you do if you zoom out I mean sometimes you can it can feel like somebody's making a choice that's like you know, way the wrong direction. But really, if you can kind of zoom out, you can kind of see, hey, you know, I have another opportunity to kind of jog this thing the other way. Uh, And I think that's kind of what you're saying here. trying to make it a little more practical.
1: Yeah, thanks for making it more easy to see. (laughs) When I'm talking about, like, the local minima, yeah, I'm getting stuck in, like, a, a machine learning technique of, like, support vector machines, right, where it's like what we're trying to do is find the bottom of the curve. (laughs) finding the bottom of the curve is actually the is actually the goal of that technique but in this you're right like to the human mind it's better to say like we're trying to find the top right so (laughs) regardless of even though it may look like we're taking a left turn right here you can zoom out and you're like okay in the grand scheme of things likely that left turn is not going to impact our trajectory towards the top right to go back to your local minima
0: just for one second too so that i don't i don't i don't want to miss that i mean it's it's really when you're stuck in that that rut you've got to you've got to you've got to force yourself out of that and there's really no way to justify other than just go through some pain. So um, That's I what he that's does. The, yeah. That's what he does, right? He goes through, he goes the, pain. through the
1: pain. He creates yeah. and let's end on this. He creates the shockwave to the system. The system needs a shockwave. We're stuck in a lock, right? There's this infinite loop that's going on right here, but what happens is energy builds up over time and it creates this shockwave and that shockwave that that the potential energy that's building up in the in the lock essentially turns into kinetic energy and it explodes and it shoots them outside of that that spot that bottom of the curve that they're sitting at and suddenly you know the Dormammu confrontation is no longer an issue it's just not even an issue anymore he's gone he has to go back to his own time you know Dr. Strange shoots back out into the the real world and he's there and everything you know the world is saved for now yeah and I and that's
0: where we were Really have to leave it today. Um I I mean I I think this has been this has been good. I mean, I I really enjoy this story. And uh if you had anything uh that you wanted to add to this uh conversation, uh hit us up on the Wonder Tour on Twitter. And uh next time, Drew, I'm gonna let you do this one because I know this one's very special to you.
1: Gosh, I'm so excited. We're next discussion is gonna be Lord of the Rings. We're gonna be talking about Frodo. This is, oh, I've been waiting so long for this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to get to
0: indulge, uh, you know, uh, Drew's love affair of Lord of the Rings. And uh, so I'm going to put on, I'll have to put on my Gandalf hat and probably just sit back and listen for a bit because I'm going to be learning a lot about the, the lore. Now, remember, we are uh, we're into lore on here and uh and different worlds so um anyway that's uh, this one's quintessential we had to wait a little bit though because you know um we wanted to we wanted to do it justice so anyway all right well thanks for listening and uh remember that all who wonder are not lost we'll see you next time